Luke 2, 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Kristen. Um, well, I wanted to start this morning by starting to uh, spread a conspiracy rumor that is completely unfounded. I think Matt, who's the senior pastor here, based this sermon series off of Buddy the Elf. He gave us a hint last week. He quoted Buddy when he says, the fastest way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. If you're uh, just joining us here this week, you can notice in your bulletin that the sermon series is called uh, the, the Songs of Christmas. Because there does seem to be this sense that the gospel writer, Luke, who wrote these words, seemed to have in mind this idea that to prepare people for the celebration of Jesus' birth, to, to, to prepare our hearts and our minds for what Christmas is, he needs to record the, 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 the words, the poems, the songs that those, these, these first Christmas goers experienced, right? So there's four different songs that occur in the first two chapters of Luke. And today we have a chance to look at the third of those, the song that the angels sang as they gathered that night. So we're going to take a look at that, but let me pray for us before we get started. Father, we enter into this place, Lord, dreaming and thinking about what life was like for these followers of you who lived so very long ago and in circumstances that are very different from our own. And yet, God, you have loved them the same as us. And Lord, you intend to shape us and mold us by the, way, the same way that you shape and molded them. So be with us, Lord. Give us ears to hear the songs that were sung. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's a new adjective I'm trying to unpack. I'm trying to figure out what this means. It's the adjective Christmassy. Y'all heard this? Christmassy? How, like, how do you even spell that? Is, there, is that like a hyphen, S-Y? Is there three S's? I don't know how you, I don't know how you spell Christmassy. But I also don't know exactly how you describe it. <clears throat> like I was sitting there this week trying to think about what does it mean to feel Christmassy or to be in a Christmassy spirit? 
I think Matt actually is the one who used it and made me think about this. And I realized that for me, it's not really a, a definition of Christmassy, it's a memory. This memory that's like locked into my subconscious of being a, a very little boy. I have no earthly idea how old I was lying on the, the plaid couch in my parents' living room, right? And I turned off all the lights except for the Christmas tree, which was twinkling in all the, the green and red and blue lights there that were on it. And I just remember feeling like I was in this enchanted land, right? An enchanted world in which anything was possible, where hope abounded. But I also... Uh, so, and so when people, when I talk about Christmas and when I talk about Christmas emotions, my mind immediately goes to that place. But I also remember sitting in that place years after that because that, that memory of that special feeling, that enchanted feeling was so addictive to me that, that as I got older and as Christmas came up, uh, sprung up a little faster, when I was less aware of what was going on, it distraught me. Right, I remember, like as a probably fourth or fifth grader, being distraught that like hey, it's like December twelfth, and I don't feel Christmassy yet. And so I would go back. I know I'm a strange kid. Okay, I went go back to the living room, turn off all the lights, turn on the Christmas tree lights, and lay down on the couch, trying to 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 feel those feelings again, trying to recreate the emotions of Christmas, trying to find some semblance of, of enchantment there. Now, maybe you were a way more normal kid just playing with your toys than I was, okay? Granted. But I wonder if we don't still do the same thing. You know, as adults, uh, Christmas sneaks up a little bit faster on you each year as you, as you get older. And many years, it, it doesn't really feel that special. It feels like a to-do list. If we're honest, as our lives as adults, for the most part, most days, whether it's Christmas or not, we're just, we're just trying to get through. We're just trying to get to the end of the day to do the things that we were supposed to do, to, to, to somehow uh, uh, find our way through this world and life. And then Christmas season comes in, and there's all these heightened expectations of, of how you're supposed to feel and, and how you're supposed to act. Some of us uh, experience intense seasonal depression at this time or, or emotional trauma from, from family events gone past. And you mix all that up together and, and Christmas comes and you're supposed to feel Christmassy, but you really, you feel pretty crappy. Can you say crappy from the pulpit? Just did. And so what do we do? We, we try to, to find some way... More, perhaps a little slightly more sophisticated than me lying on the couch to drum up our emotions, to make us feel like Christmas is here. And when you think about it, it's really amazing that the number of ways that we uh, attend to ourselves during Christmas, right? Like whatever your thing is that pumps a few extra endorphins into your life, Christmas season is the time, right? If you're a shopper, Right, buying something new, little finding a little treasure that, that makes you excited. Right, it's your Olympics right now. This is the season to go for it. Right? If you're a homebody and you want to stay at home and, and be warm and cozy, well grab your eggnog or your peppermint latte, find the fireplace. This is a season when you have the excuse to sit there by yourself. 
redefining a, 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 getting a smile or a laugh from some sweet-faced uh, child gives you a little kick, well, by all means, it's like stealing candy from babies right now, right? Your, grand, your grandchild, right? Your, your niece or, or your, your son, right? You can, there's so many ways that you can give them a little candy or give them a gift, and you will get that little feeling that they give back as their lights, as their eyes light up. Or right? maybe uh, you like to eat your feelings, and oh boy, have we got you covered at Christmas time, right? We could go on and on. You like to get dolled up for parties and feel like you're loved and accepted. Well, we got your calendar full. If you like to feel productive and feel like you uh, have uh, achieved something, you can go straight from marathon weekend last weekend to New Year's resolutions here in short order. If you dream of, of finding love, then there's plenty of spots to find some mistletoe at Christmas. Whatever is the thing that gives you a little kick of endorphins, you can find it all over the place in Christmas. But I wonder if we're doing anything more than I was lying on that couch. I wonder if we're just, just trying to fake it, just trying to give ourselves some reason to, to drum up our emotions, to feel something, to feel like this is somehow special because we know that you're supposed to feel things at Christmas. And yet we come to this story, a story of, of men and women who lived long before there was a Target or a, a, a Starbucks to cater to their needs, who lived in a time and a place in which there were very few holiday parties or, or eggnog to go around, and yet listen to the kinds of emotions that they experienced. When they walked away from this Christmas, they wondered they considered the, the claims of the shepherds, and they amused, how could this possibly be possible? Their amazement. Mary treasured up the events that occurred and pondered what they might mean. The shepherds, the shepherds who heard the angel song, as we just read a second ago, they left the first, the, the, the first Christmas on cloud nine, glorifying and praising God. They did not need are manipulative little tricks to make them feel Christmassy. Something happened. Now, and Luke doesn't just tell us so to make us feel bad, right? Like, oh, they, oh, if only we could be like the shepherds. Oh, if only we could experience the, the angels, then we would feel that way too. No, Luke tells us his story because he wants to bring us along on their journey, to bring us along on the journey of Mary and Joseph and the shepherds as they encountered the Christ, the Messiah, being born. But if we're going to follow along in their footsteps, if we are going to, to understand how it is that they achieved the that feeling the enchantment of Christmas, feeling the feelings of Christmas, we're going to have to add some new things, specifically a new emotion to how we encounter Christmas, a new imagination of what Christmas means, and, of course, a new Savior, a new Savior who enters into our midst. So we're going to take a look at those three. The first is we need a new emotion. I don't know how you, when I say the word Christmassy, maybe you have, maybe you're better than I can. Maybe you can throw some, some other words, some synonyms along, right? You have, you have hope or, or joy or wonder, 
festive, right? Some, some lot, sign that's lit up in little, little uh, marquee lights along the way. But I'm guessing that there's an emotion that's not on your list. But it's on the list of, of every single person who experiences this first Christmas. The story starts here in verse 9. You see, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and the shepherds were filled with warm, fuzzy feelings and a peppermint mocha. No! They were filled with what? Fear. Not just any fear. Great fear. So much so that the angel needs to respond to them, right? Fear not. In fact, if we were to go through the first two chapters, we could have just as easily, instead of saying the uh, the the songs of Christmas, we could have said the horrors of Christmas, right? Instead of a musical, we could be talking about a horror film because every character is terrified at what is going on in their midst. Eight times in the first two chapters, uh, Luke tells us that somebody or something is described as being fearful or filled with great fear. What does he mean by that? It doesn't appear that it means uh, what you might simply assume, that, that uh, well, there's a happens to be an angelic warrior standing in front of them, and they're terrified for their lives, right? Because such a, a, a being could squash them like a bug. It doesn't seem to be that way because Luke keeps up the, the fear language. In fact, the first half of the gospel of Luke is just filled with story after story after story. And every time that people who are witnessing what Jesus is doing in the story uh, are to- were told their emotions, it's told that they have great fear. Sometimes your Bible will say awe or amazement, but it's the same words over and over again. When Jesus, uh, when Jesus tells them, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and they do, and they actually catch fish, they're freaked out. When Jesus says to the paralytic, stand up, take up your bed, and walk, and he does, they're undone, right? When Jesus Uh, calms a storm when he expels demons from their midst. These people don't know what to do, and the emotion that they express is fear. Why? Because they are seeing concrete evidence that the world is totally different than the way they've ever experienced it. That the world, when heaven comes down to earth, when the Son of God becomes man, is completely unlike the world that they assume is at play. Because when heaven comes down to earth, the earth is this new place. I think that they have is the fear of the unknown. When Whitney and I were, Whitney and I went to college together, um, and we got there our, we we both went to school in downtown Chicago, our uh, sophomore year through senior year of, of college. And when I arrived downtown Chicago, I maybe had been I maybe had been there one time in my life, right before move-in day. And um, we show up there, uh, driving into the city, and I remember this, my heart just pounding, right looking trying to look out the window, and, and you just couldn't look high enough to see the tops of, of the buildings, right? And I'm, I'm from a pretty small, pretty uh, small town area, right? I'm used to, to a world that I know how, where to go, and I know the people that I'm going with, and here was this strange world filled with commotion and noises, right? And Whitney and I, we move in, and, and our parents leave, and I remember that 
that first day, we move in, we get our little welcome packet, and in there is a a little, what they call the U-Pass, right? It's a, it's a car that university students could use to ride whatever train or whatever bus that they wanted to ride. And so Whitney and I are 19 years old, and we're in this new place. It probably looked a lot like Buddy the Elf when he lands in the magical land of New York City, right? Walking around, not knowing what to do in this new world that we found ourselves But we come to a a subway staircase going down below the street, and we think, well, let's try it. I kid you not, I remember walking down the staircase of that subway, just my palms sweating. Palms sweating because I was, not because I was like afraid like I was going to get hurt. Palms sweating because it's like I've never experienced anything like this. Maps, you've been on a subway like this. You enter into this subterranean world with all the the pungent smells of body odor and and ambitious amounts of cologne colliding together, right? You have people bustling to and fro and people sleeping on the ground. You have uh, musicians trying to earn a tip or two along the way. I remember we got on the train and we, we rode up one stop you know, just standing awkwardly in the middle of the train, and we look at each other, and should we go one more? Do we dare go two stops forward on the the subway? Because we were in a whole new world, a world that we didn't know what to expect, a world that was uh, uh, out of our control, a world that we didn't know what to do to make sense of. And not only were we found ourselves in a new place, we recognized that this was our new home, that we were going to spend the next three years of our life doing life in this manner that seemed completely foreign to us. And so we were terrified. When we read the story that Luke tells us, maybe we've read it so much, maybe you've heard it over and over again that it it doesn't strike you the way it is intended. But when Luke tells us that a host of angels appears in the sky, what he is describing is, is that the army of heaven, a host is, an, is a military term. Heaven has been invaded by, the, by a, a, a field of God's messengers, of God's, uh, of God's warriors. That there has been an extraterrestrial invasion of earth and the sky is lit up with the glory of God. What he is describing is nothing less than heaven coming down to earth. And these shepherds are the first ones to see this sight and the first ones to become completely freaked out because they have no idea what to do with this new reality that they are experiencing. Because, see, the shepherds live a lot like you and I live, I imagine. A world where uh, if we were to to compare it with the the shepherds here, we live in a a world that's filled with a, a, a deep fog, a fog where you, you, have you ever been in a fog like this where, where like you can't see past your fingers? You hold out your hand to see if you can still see what is, is coming around. And we live in this world where everything we do and everything we expect in the world is that which we can control, that which we can touch, that which we manipulate. And the shepherds, all of a sudden, in an instant are shown like the, the, the lights of heaven shine down and melt away this fog, and they can see the, they can see the world as it really is, and it, it completely undoes them. 
because it's not a world that they can control. It's not a world that they can predict. It's not a world as they have ever known it before. And so if you and I are to experience Christmas this year, maybe there's a new emotion that needs to come into our midst. Maybe it's not that we should just redo our same traditions to feel sentimental. Maybe we're, it's not just a, a time to spend with loved ones, as good as those things are. Maybe this is a time in which we, our eyes can be opened to this bizarre and crazy thing that heaven has come to earth. And nothing that we assume, nothing that we can control is the way that it used to be. If we're going to become people who can experience the enchantment of Christmas, we must be first be unsettled by this emotion, just like the shepherds were that night. But we need more than a new emotion. We need a new imagination. A new imagination. The angels, you know, perhaps contrary to our assumptions, did not just come to, to make a pretty light show in the sky. They came to make a proclamation, a proclamation that they put in song. Glory to God in the highest. Glory to God in heaven. And because God is glorified in heaven on earth, there is peace among those with whom he is pleased. That God coming to earth, that heaven coming to earth equates itself with peace coming to our world. Now, of course, everyone wants peace, right? Everyone wants simplicity. Everyone wants there to be the absence of conflict. And if you were a Jew in the first century, you, I'm sure, had innumerable ways that you could try to go about that. But there's some pretty obvious, uh, we'll call them political ways that they could have, have, have believed. Right was this, uh, this figure named Caesar Augustus who orders the census at the first part of chapter 2. Because see, Caesar Augustus was, didn't just happen to be the ruler of the Roman world at that time. Caesar Augustus was the adopted child of Julius Caesar. He was a child of promise, and when he was born, uh, emissaries were sent around the world to proclaim the new savior of the world because he would be so strong and he would be so powerful and he would be so relentless in his bloodthirsty conquering of the nations that he would bring peace on earth. And undoubtedly, even though Jews were, were an occupied land, Palestine was an occupied land, there is certainly Jews who believed that's the program that was going to bring me the simple life. That's the program that's going to get me out of hard spots. That's the, that's the program that I want to sign up for. Right, Herod, uh, who's king, is, is among them. There's, there's any number of, of people who, who become Rome sympathizers because it makes their life more peaceful. Then there's, you know, a, a good political uh, stance. It's no good without an extreme, right, an opposite. And so the Jews had that as well. The people who, a faction that would come, become known as, as zealots, Right? These were people who said, no, 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 no. Peace and tranquility does not come to our land by, by submitting to Rome, but by defeating Rome. That we are going to reinstate a, a Jewish theocracy in Palestine, that we will conquer them. We will follow the path of the Maccabees, and we will win this war, and we will have peace. And as Jerusalem will become an example for all the world, and that is the means of peace. 
But while the political debates of the day may have been the loudest voice, something in me doubts that it's the most common. Perhaps unlike, not unlike our world, I think the shepherds in their day-to-day life didn't probably stake their, their hope in Rome being their forever protector. And my hunch is, is that they did not really, but really put their hope that, that some ragtag group of Jews could overthrow the Roman Empire like the Zealots. They may have been tempted one way or the other, and I'm sure they passed time debating such ideas in their mind, but my hunch is, is that these shepherds were a lot like you and I. The kind of peace that I think they likely sought was much more local. The kind of peace that comes if they could just keep these sheep alive a few more days, if they could just keep the sheep alive until the Passover feast, they'd be able to sell them and make a return on their investment. And if they could just uh, make a return on their investment, then they could continue to eat for another day. If they kept their head down and, and went about their business and mind concerned themselves just with, with what they needed, then they would stay off the radar of the Roman Empire and they wouldn't get drawn into the, the, the theory, conspiracy theories of the zealots. They were just trying to get through the day. They were just trying to find a way to control their own destiny. I think we're kind of the same. As zealous as, and, and as worked up as we like to get over one political party or the other, and uh, we treat their claims of peace and prosperity pretty skeptically, don't we? Like, do you, even the, the, the party that you lean towards, do you really think that they're going to make your life better? Do you really think that those, those political figures will be able to solve your problems? Right? Whatever TED Talk uh, idea or podcast idea that you have come across that you think is, is world-changing, do you really? Is that really what you count on day after day to make the world a better place? My hunch is, is that you're a lot like me. And really, if we looked at what animates us, what imagination for the future animates us, it's that we'll get through the day, <laughs> that we'll come to the end, that somehow we'll We'll find some way to, to sustain life in this world. That some way, one matter, one means or another, we'll, we'll find some semblance of, of meaning and purpose in life. That somehow we will, uh, if we can get, just get through the day, then we'll be able to be at peace with ourselves and, and arrive at an okay place. But if that's our imagination, we've not listened to the angel's song. The angels sang that there was supposed to be peace on earth. And the kind of peace that they're talking about, we've been saying as we light the candles. Have you paid attention to the, the kinds of claims that are in the, what we're reading at, at that time? That the nation shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That, 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 that the needs of the people of earth would be so satisfied and so fulfilled that they have no reason to fight. They have no reason to think that they are at all at risk of invasion or hostility. That they can take the weapons of defending themselves and turn them into weapons of cultivating soil. Is that a world anything like the one you've ever experienced? 
that the wolves will live with the lambs and the uh, leopard shall lie down with the kid, with the, the, the baby goat. Is that the way that nature as you know it operates? The deserts shall rejoice and blossom. Is that the way that you understand deserts, ecosystems to work? When the angels proclaim peace on earth, because God is glorified in heaven, they are declaring a world that is unlike anything that we have ever known. And so when we come to this story, if we want to experience the enchantment of Christmas, if we want to experience the joy of Christmas, then we have to recognize that our vision, our imagination for the world is much it's much, much too small. Instead of having too high of ambitions for Christmas, we have settled for far too little. And so preparing uh, the season of Advent, as we hear the angel song, what it ought to do if we want to experience the enchantment of Christmas is it ought to invite us to interrogate our imaginations, to interrogate our expectations to question what it is that drives us out of bed in the morning and what good we possibly hope to attain in the world. And the question is, is it anything beyond your fingertips? Is there anything in your expectations of the world that's beyond uh, what you can see and what you can control? Is there anything uh, of your hope for the world that is not man-made but given by God? So if we're to follow the footsteps of the, the shepherds, we're going to need some new emotions. We're going to need a new imagination, but we also, we also are going to need a new Savior. You see, the problem isn't just that our vision for the world is too small. It's that our, our expectation of how we can obtain it is far too inadequate. Because whether you would say it this way or not, you and I both tend towards a belief that we are our own Savior. We have bought into a belief that we uh, are our own and that we belong to ourselves. That you can be whatever it is that you want to be. That you engage in the world that you can shape and you can mold it. Right? You can control your relationships to just be the kind of people who affirm uh, you as you want to be known, that we can find a, a way that we can manipulate our world to conform to our wishes and our desires, our passions. We believe that, if, uh, that we are what we make of ourselves, and so if what you want is an absence of, of, of unpleasantness, it's up to you to get it. If you're unhappy in this world, it's because you have not pursued those things that make you happy. You have deprived yourself. We believe that if we uh, want to, to experience um, love and affection, that we need to go find the person who gives us, the right one who gives us love and affection. And if you are stuck in an unhappy marriage, that's because you haven't been true to yourself. We live in a world that tells us over and over and over again, if you want peace, go get it. If you want to be known and, and you want to be loved, then go get it. Go earn it. If you want to have an identity in this world, then buckle up your bootstraps and make it happen. And the pressure of that is, is more than anyone in this room can handle. The anxiety 
that melts our lives away from, from, from the claim that we can control our destiny destroys us. I know because it destroys me. But there's another way. There's another way, and that is to hear the claim of the angels. Because they did not come to say, hey, here's a new program of life for you to follow. They did not come and say, hey, here's a a new emperor to, to, to submit to. They came to say, for unto you, for your benefit, is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the ruler. Christ the Lord. And they tell us that there will be peace on earth among those with whom he is well pleased. Whom is God well pleased for in the scripture? It is those who are his own. You see, what the Christmas story tells us is that you are not your own, that you have been bought with a price, that you are not on your own to make sense of this world, that you are not uh, among those who have to find uh, feelings and emotions that you have to manipulate. You're not the kind of people who have to dream up a Christmassy feeling. You are a people who have been beloved by a Savior, a Savior who entered into time and place because he needed to be with you, because heaven and earth were meant to be united. And so when we sit here in this room and we hear the song of the angels, glory to God on the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased, what we are being invited to is is we are getting a glimpse that the fog has been melted away, and we get a glimpse to see that there is this strange and wonderful and, and, and at times fearful new world in which God is making the heavens and earth, and we have the option. Most of us will, will hear those words and we'll file it away in some sentimental feeling. We'll, we'll go halfway down the staircase into the subway and then we'll, we'll back ourselves back out. Go back to the way that things feel normal and things feel comfortable. Where we can calm our, our, uh, calm our anxieties with a pan of, of Christmas cinnamon rolls. But there's an invitation that is embedded in this song. An invitation that this world is not what you can see and touch, that this world and your peace is not that which you can attain, that this world is known by God, that this world is made by God, and that he has welcomed you into it. Because you see, to go down into the the subway system, to enter into the subterranean world is more than any of us could possibly do on our own. Few years ago, I was uh, back in Chicago, and this time it was not with Whitney. This time it was with uh, my Simon, my middle son, who was, I guess, he was six at the time. And I took him on this special trip to 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 show him this magical world called Chicago that I came to love, and of course to to show him this magical world called Wrigley uh, Wrigleyville, right? where Wrigley Field is, or the Cubs play. Um, And so I had to do it the right way. I had to take him on the red line to go up to the game with all of the other Cubs fans. And so we uh, approached this subway station, and in that moment, all of a sudden, I could remember the fears and anxieties of my first descent into the subway system of Chicago. 
But what was different about Simon than was for me is that he was with his dad. And he truly believed that, that I knew what I was doing as I took him into this subterranean world, despite what it smelled like. He truly believed that the world that I was inviting him into was a world that was for his good and for his excitement. And so as he approached the staircase down into the, the, the nether parts of the city, he did not go with sweaty palms. He didn't go with shaking legs. He bounded down the steps into that subway. He could not wait to enter into this new world because he was not going alone. Because he was being taken there by somebody he believed was for his good. As you're invited in the song of the angels to go with Christ into this new world where heaven and earth combine, where there is more to this world than meets the eye, you may feel the fear and you may feel the excitement, but you go with one who has loved you best, who loves to be near you and who entered into this world for the very purpose. If we're going to experience the enchantment of Christmas, it won't be because we drum up the right traditions. It won't be because we play the right Christmas song. It's because we'll believe what the angels told us so long ago. We have a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Pray with me. Father, we enter into this place as people who need to be convinced day after day of your goodness and your nearness. To reject the stories of the world that promise us a false peace and instead to find our hope in you. God, I pray that this Christmas season, you would, we would experience that anew by the power of your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.